0: The reading this morning is from Ephesians and 1 Peter. Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. With Jesus Christ himself as a cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises. You too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy.
1: If you're not a fan of my haircut, I would just uh, I would just ask that you, you not say anything to my daughters. They don't need any more ammunition. <laughs> Kate, our five-year-old, upon seeing it, first words out of her mouth were, you know, hands on her face, Dad, what will the church say? <laughs> And she has not permitted me to, to take her to school since I cut my hair. She, she makes me wear a hat at home. She asked, she, she uh, accosted me this morning on my way out the door and, and told me that I should wear a hat uh, today. Uh, but I, I didn't. Anyway, uh, got that out of the way. Um, this morning, we're now in week eight. Week eight. Of this series, we're calling the basics. We've been calling the basics. Uh, I didn't expect it to go this long. And what we've been doing in this series. Is uh I didn't want to tell you this up front because I was afraid that you'd think it, it sounded uh boring, but now that we're almost done, I can I can tell you what we've been doing. We've been going through the Apostles' Creed. We've been going through this statement from uh 180 A.D., the earliest statement there is of uh, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to, to believe the things you have to believe to be a Christian. Uh this statement uh, and so we've been going through it phrase by phrase. We haven't hit every phrase, but we've hit a lot of the phrases. If you uh, grew up going to a kind of a more traditional church, then you, you remember this. You'd say it every week. You know, you'd, you, everybody stands up and says, I believe, and you say it in unison. And so if you think back through the series and think back to how the, the creed goes, you know, it starts with, I believe in Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Well, that's where we started our series. We talked about God, creator, father, maker of heaven and earth. And then so it's gone for the last uh, eight weeks. So we talked about Jesus. I believe, you know, what's the next phrase? Jesus Christ, his only son. We talked about Jesus. We talked about uh, the resurrection of Christ from the dead. You have to believe that Jesus was raised on the third day to be a Christian. I believe in the forgiveness of sins, is one of the phrases in the creed. We talked about what that means. I believe in the resurrection of the body. He talked about how being a Christian means not only that you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, but that you're going to be raised from the dead, your body, resurrection of your body. And then the last three weeks we paused and we've spent a lot of time talking about this phrase in the creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit. So for three weeks we've been talking about what is this Holy Spirit? Who is this Holy Spirit? And have been talking about what it looks like to be indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, you think, okay, we've Surely we've come to the end of it now. It's got to be over. The creed's got to be done. But there's one more phrase, odd, odd little phrase that I want us to look at before we close out this series. And it's this phrase toward the end of the, the creed where it says, I believe in the church. I believe in the church. And it's strange because why do you have to believe in it? You know, everything else in the creed is, is uh, supernatural, it's stuff that you, you see why you would have to profess this, why you have to stand up in church every, every week and say, I profess my faith in this, because it's hard to believe in the, these supernatural things, like the resurrection and like the atonement, like Jesus dying for your sins, like this creator that you can't see. So you get why you have to, to profess your faith in those things. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son. But why is there this phrase, I believe... In the church? And the answer is because the church is every bit as supernatural as anything else in that creed, and every bit, honestly, as hard to believe in. And and for a lot of people today, it's even harder to believe in. So that's what we're gonna talk about this morning. To be a Christian, to be a Christian at all, the oldest statement of Christian belief we have from the very beginning, you've always had to believe right alongside with everything else, you've had to believe in the church. And I want to talk this morning about what that means and, and what that looks like. This passage, as you heard read uh, just a second ago, some classic teachings on the church from Scripture, shows two things. First, they show us the necessity of the church. And then second, they show us the intensity of the church. And then to those two sections, I want to add a, a third section, which will just be called putting it into practice. So altogether, the necessity of the church, the intensity of the church, and putting it into practice. Those will be the three sections this morning. So first, the necessity of the church. That's what the Bible says. The church is necessary. That's what the creeds say. And we have to start here because people today doubt that. You know, people ask, is the church necessary? Do I have to have a religious institution or a community or a congregation to have this experience with God? Two trends in the U.S. today in terms of spirituality and religion One is that people are way more hungry spiritually than they've ever been before in decades. People are talking more about faith and the supernatural and spirituality than they have in a really long time. That's the first trend. The second trend, right along with it and almost contradictory, is that people are less interested in religious institutions. They're less interested in organized religion and more opposed to organized religion than ever before. Both of those things at once, And so you see people trying to reconcile these. There was a cover article of uh, Newsweek a couple of Easter's back by Andrew Sullivan, the Daily Beast guy. And the, the, the headline was, it was a, a picture of Jesus standing in modern clothes, contemporary clothing, standing in Times Square. And the headline was, forget the church, follow Jesus. Forget the church, follow Jesus. And you see that everywhere. I want to read you an excerpt from a, an op-ed in the New York Times about this a while back. The author said, uh, apparently a growing number of Americans are running from organized religion, but by no means running from God. Though religion contains large public components, it is at its core a personal affair. It is the relationship we have with ourselves. He says this, we need a Steve Jobs of religion Someone who can invent not a new religion, but rather a new way of being religious. Like Mr. Jobs's creations, this new way would be straightforward and unencumbered and absolutely intuitive. Most important, it would be highly interactive. We need a new religious operating system. So in other words, just to paraphrase that, he's saying, I, I love my iPhone. Why can't God be more like my iPhone? You know, why, why can't I have an experience of a God that's more like that? And it's interesting because we've done precisely that, even with just our phones. You know, uh, Logan was talking last week about podcasts and, you know, podcast addiction, something that I fall prey to as well. And you, you certainly see this with the way we try to interact with God is using our phones. We can get all the, the worship music on Spotify. You can get sermons on the, the, the uh, podcast podcast app and even you know one of my uh, favorite preachers this guy that went to the same college that I did is this guy Rob Bell he had this this big big old church for years and what he did is he just canceled the church he he retired from the church and now he just preaches the sermons into his computer just sitting there at, at his desk and just puts them out on the bus, And he said, well, let's skip this part. You know, this is, this is a big pain. This is a big pain to have all these people come here and rent the space and gather together. Skip this part. I'll just record it straight into the microphone. And I got a microphone in my office. And then people can get the sermons that way. Oprah has a spirituality podcast right now that's doing really well. Uh, she had Rob Bell on there, a bunch of other people she's had on there. And she asked this question every time. Every single time, her stock question is, what's the difference between spirituality and religion? And she's trying to create this space for people to be spiritual without being religious. Main thing that people want today. So, no question that there's demand for this. No question that it's way more convenient for us to all interact with God, primarily through our phones and through our our headphones. The question is, does it work? And what the Bible says is no. The Bible says you cannot have true spiritual power. You cannot have a true, vibrant relationship with God in the comfort of your own home, in the comfort of your own car, in private. It has to be this communal thing. The passage you heard read, Ephesians 2, very famous passage. We didn't read the whole thing, uh, but it's, it comes in two parts. And the first part of the passage, you know, everybody loves today, because the first part of the passage is talking about. Your personal experience with God and uh, being filled with God and having God transform your life. And you're reading that first part and everybody's thinking, yes, that's what I want. And then he gets to the second half of the passage in verse 11. It says, therefore, pesky biblical word, therefore. And he says, therefore, all this will bring you into the church. And you say, no, 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 no. That's, that's not what I want. I don't want that. But for 2,000 years, it's been this way. And it, these recent innovations, you know, there's been so many Innovations over the last 2,000 years that have looked like they're going to make the church obsolete. And yet, here we still are. Why is that? Because this is God's chosen means. This, the gathered community, is His chosen means for getting His word and His spirit out in the world. And it's not downloadable. This is not a downloadable experience i don 't know if you know this. I can actually see you when i 'm standing here. I, I see you, I see what 's going on in your face. I say different things because of what I see. God is in this room and it 's me and it 's you and it 's all of us together. Something is happening here that can 't be downloaded and it 's always been that way and it 's always going to be that way so it 's not i 'm not threatened by this you know these these recent calls for Let's get rid of churches and just have spirituality without it. It's been this way the whole time. There's always been people who have said, we can do it without the church. We can do it without the messiness of the community. And it's just never worked. It's never worked because God, in his wisdom, has chosen this, has chosen the church as his vehicle. That's the first section, the necessity, the necessity of the church. Let's move on to section number two. Part two this morning, the intensity of the church. So let's say you you buy the first section, maybe you don't, but we have to move on uh, either way. So for the sake of argument, let's say you buy the first section and you say, okay, the church is necessary. I have to be part of a church. And you are here after all, you know, so you're you're already partway there. I have to be part of a church. The question is, how close does this relationship have to be? You know, what's the, that's the necessity of it. What about the intensity of it? How intense, how close does this relationship have to be? And to get the answer to that, we can go back to the the text. There's uh, a couple of verses there from 19 to 22 where uh, Paul rattles off three images. Three images for how close this relationship has to be. And uh, they get progressively more intense as you go. So the first one is, he says, your fellow citizens. Which even that right there is pretty intense. What he's saying is before... Your, your way of seeing yourself was in terms of your nationality or your, your ethnicity. Now your primary identification in terms of peoplehood is you're part of the church. That comes first. Before being an American, or <laughs> that got a nice George Bush twang on that American there, I didn't mean American. Before being an American, or before being Korean or British, or before being even white or black or brown, there's this... Identification as one of the people of God. And that doesn't mean we don't talk about race. That doesn't mean we don't talk about these ethnic issues. That's not, it's not saying melting pot. That's not the idea. The idea is what's first, what comes primary, who are you first? And first, before anything else, once you become a Christian, that, that's it. You're, you're a Christian first. As an example, you know, during the uh, Revolutionary War, Everybody in that Continental Congress had to go through this major identity shift where before they had thought of themselves primarily first and foremost as Virginians or as New Yorkers or as New Englanders or whatever it was over and against the other colonies and through the process of a few years coming together they came to see themselves first and foremost as Americans and then secondarily as members of Virginia or whatever other state it was. And it's the same thing. It's not that you lose your other identity, but that your identity as a Christian comes first. So that's the first thing. Citizens. Citizens. Fellow citizens of this new nation, this new people. But then, as I said, it gets more intense from there. So then the next one is you're members of the same household. God's household. God's family. So first, it's that you got this common king. You've all got the same king. Same sovereign. But then second, it's that you've got the same father. You all have the same father. And if you all have the same father, then that means that you are brothers and sisters. You know, you you hear uh, there's still churches that that use that terminology, that call each other brother and sister, or even put it uh, before the name, you know, Brother Bob or Sister Sue. Um, And I think most people today have a very knee-jerk reaction to that. You know, it feels very cultish and, and weird to them. But there's something very right and very true behind that custom i'm not saying we're going to start doing it here at lmcc necessarily but this idea of a brother and sister it's that close it's that close of of a relationship members of the same family the third image he uses citizens then members of the same family same household and the third image is stones peter uses the same image too Peter and Paul both use it. Living stones, they say, built together. In other words, there's not a millimeter between you. This is pretty close. And the way stones work is if you take one stone out of the bottom of the wall, the other stones aren't as stable. So here's one test. Here's one test for how you know if you are actually part of a Christian community. If you're part of the church the way we're talking about it, is if we took you out, would anybody notice? If we took you out, if we took your brick out of the wall, would any other bricks topple at all? Is there anybody resting on you, and who are you resting on? And if not, if you're not cemented together in this house, this temple, with your brothers and sisters, with your fellow citizens, then you're missing the whole idea. Now, what's the house? What's this temple that's being built? Well, this is the temple where God's spirit, God's fire, lives and it's important to clarify something, because over the last few weeks, you know, we, we started three weeks ago talking about the fire of the Holy Spirit, and we walked through the history of the Bible, looking at how God's fire became progressively closer and got closer to us to the point where he dwells within us. Great. But the way we've been talking about it is we've been talking about it like God's Spirit dwells exclusively within you as, a, as an individual. And we talked about how on Pentecost, you know, there were the flames that... wasn't just one flame in the middle of the room. There were flames above every single head, and the the spirit entered each individual heart. That's true. That's not not true. But it's only half the truth. And it goes back to something we talked about uh, a couple months ago, which I won't rehash the whole thing, but about the the lack of a second person plural in English. We talked about y'all and yins and use guys and how... In the Bible, we miss it sometimes because there, there is one place where Paul says, you singular, you know, just pointing to one person. You, the individual believer, are a temple of the Holy Spirit. But way more often, he talks about you plural, you guys, you all, yins, are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's a way bigger temple. You know, the temple that we build together with each person as a brick, that can hold a lot more of God's presence. That can hold a lot more of God's fire than you can when you're in your room by yourself. So I'm not backtracking on anything we said a few weeks ago about the importance of pursuing this individual private experience with God's spirit. Of course, that's important. But it's only half of the picture. There's this other part, which is being built together as living stones, and God's spirit and God's fire indwelling the whole And you have to have that. You can't have Jesus without that. And we're talking about images the Bible uses for the church. Well, two images the Bible uses are the bride of Christ and the body of Christ. So to say, you know, like Andrew Sullivan wants to say, forget the church, follow Jesus. That's like saying to somebody, well, I, I like you. I'm just disgusted by your body. You know, I love you, I just hate your wife. I just can't stand your wife. But let's get closer. You know, why don't, why don't you and I get closer? Why don't you and I hang out? It doesn't work like that. You cannot be filled with Jesus. You cannot even believe in Jesus. You can't believe in the real Jesus without also believing in the church. And the church is not just coming on Sundays. It's this intense, close, being cemented together as living stones, same family, same people. So let's move on to the last section now. Finally this morning, putting it into practice. I don't want to be just very dull here, very, very straightforward about what this looks like. But first, let's just acknowledge before we get into kind of the the, uh, actual steps. This is hard, and it's especially hard for people in this room. It's especially hard for people in this city. The United States is obviously a more individualistic country than uh, most of the world, but even more so here. And to to show you what I mean, let's just, I can, you know, this will be real quick. Let's just do a quick survey. I can just ask one question, which is, raise your hand if you were uh, born and raised in New York City. All right, so about 5%, about 5% of the people here. Now, if I ask that question, anywhere else in the country, you'd have about 50%. And a lot of places, you'd have as high as 80%. As high as 80% of people, when I asked that question, would raise their hands. And here we've got 5%. What does that mean? It means that when your siblings and your friends and your classmates stayed, you left. They stayed and you left. And why? Why did you leave? <laughs> not for better friendships, not, not because you wanted deeper relationships. You left because you were putting your career and your ambition above those relationships. So to them, those relationships are more important than their career and ambition. To you, it's flipped. You, you wouldn't be here otherwise. Just the fact that you are sitting here proves this. So what that means is it's going to be harder for us. I'm not trying to shame you or guilt trip you about that. I made the same decision you did. I'm here too. It just means that it's going to be way harder for us even than it is for the typical already individualistic American because of the values that we have as New Yorkers. We are running up against our basic values and our basic wiring, our chosen life. So what does it look like? What does it look like to go against your values of putting individual and career above relationships and put into practice this vision that the Bible gives us of the church. Let me give you a a menu of options kind of depending upon where you're at. So there's going to be something here for everybody. First, if you're kind of the drop-in once-a-month type of person for the the Sunday service, the first step, this is real easy, is just make a commitment to yourself. Say, I'm going to be here every week that I'm in town, no matter what. It's not going to be like I wake up on Sunday and check the weather or think about you know how do I feel or how much did I get out of it last week. I'm just going to come every Sunday, not because of what I get out of it, not because I really want to hear the sermon live instead of on a podcast or I want to hear the music live instead of on the recording, but because I'm just part of the wall. I'm part of the wall, and so whether I get anything out of it or not, I'm gonna show up every week. I'm in town and I'm gonna make myself available. I'm gonna be introducing myself to people, whether I'm an introvert or an extrovert. I'm gonna be hanging around afterwards. I'm gonna make myself a part of this wall. It's the first easy step you can take is you go from once a month to, no, every week. Every week, whether I get something out of it or not, I'm gonna be here. Second thing you can do is, if you're not part of a community group, this is the obvious one. Because as great as Sundays are, and as important as this gathered assembly is, as, as alive as it is, as much as God's presence is here, uh, there's something different about when it's eight to ten people in a house, and, or somebody's apartment, or a restaurant, wherever it is, and you're talking about real stuff. Because that's really what it is. is When they're talking about this, this members of the same family and living stones, what you're talking about is spiritual friendships, where you're talking about your relationship with God, and maybe even sharing stuff that you don't feel comfortable sharing, but you push yourself a little bit, and then you're glad you you did. Which obviously, I mean, let's just state the obvious. The reason people don't want to sign up for community groups is because they're afraid it's gonna be awkward. You know, you're gonna get there and you're gonna be forced to share something you don't wanna share. Or somebody else is gonna share something and you think, well, I don't know if I wanted to know that. You know, and, and then you're, you're stuck with these people and how do you get out if you don't like them and you know, you feel like you have to go. And all of that is the point. The awkwardness, the being stuck All of that is the whole point. You just show up and you're stuck and you have to listen to these people and they drive you crazy, but then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, one of these weeks, you find yourself saying something that you you never thought you'd say. Or you hear them saying something and it clicks and God's spirit is there in the room. So if you're not part of a community group, you just, you have to do this. I've said before, and I'll, I'll say it again, uh, if you really only have one time slot a week, and I don't think that's true. I think you can, you can make it two time slots a week. But if you really only had one, then you should choose community groups over this Sunday experience because it's in that group way more so than on Sundays. No matter how uh, extroverted you behave on Sundays, it's in the group that people are going to notice when the brick is taken out of the wall and where you can actually be part of a true Community. So that's the, the, the second thing, is if you're not part of a group, you just got to do it. You got to do it. You know you got to do it. I think you are already convinced even before this sermon. You got to do it. The third thing is for those of you who have not yet been baptized. We've got a baptism class today after the service, and then we've got our baptism service itself coming up in a few weeks. Um, hands down, no question, the best Sunday of the year at this church, the, the day we celebrate these baptisms. And in the past, you know, in talking about why, why get baptized, I've focused on kind of individualistic reasons, to be honest. I've talked about, well, this is something Jesus commands you to do, so you should do it. Or, you know, this is a way of marking the before and after in your life, so, so you should do it. And really, uh, that's part of it. But in the context of this sermon, the, the bigger thing is probably, why, why does it have to be public? You know, why does it have to be something you do in front of everybody else? If a relationship with God is something you can have on your own, then why do this ceremony in front of other people? But if it's not, if it's not something you can do on your own, then what baptism is is the way you're saying, not just to God, but to everybody else, I'm in, I'm part of the family, I'm a brother or a sister, I'm a son or daughter, I'm a citizen, I'm a living stone. Look, I'm standing up here, I'm in. You know, people ask, uh, does LMCC have membership? Can you, can you join the church? And the answer is, yeah, we're not going to let you do it by just signing your name on some sheet of paper. Who cares about that? No, you have to get wet. You have to get wet to join this church. You have to go under the water and come back up again, same way that the uh, Christians have been doing it for 2,000 years. You know, back to the whole Steve Jobs idea, it's like, can we innovate? Can't we, it's kind of a pain, can't we like do something a little bit hipper than this, this dunking thing? No. We're going to do it the way that, that Christians have always done it. And that's how you say you're in. And I want to say to some of you here that some of you have over the past series or over the past year or two, I, I don't know the time frame, but some of you here, sitting here right now, some of you have become Christians recently become Christians over the past couple months. you become a Christian over the past year. And it's important to put that terminology to it, you know, because I think we're, we tend to want to understate it and undersell it and say, well, you know, I've been going to church more. I've been thinking about God more. I've been praying more. Well, maybe for some of you, you know, I'm, not, I'm saying this, this isn't true for everybody. So maybe for some of you, you still are at the exploratory stage, but for others of you, you're not. You, you didn't believe the creed before, and now you do. You weren't a Christian, and now you are. You didn't have God's Spirit, and now God's Spirit is within you. And you have to see that, and you have to say that. You can't just let it happen and, and not mark it. you got to come to the church and say, I'm in. So that's the third thing you can do. If you haven't been baptized, I encourage you to stick around for the class today after the service, or uh, just sign up for the baptism itself in a few weeks. And then the last group is just, real quickly, those of you who have already done all those things. You're already here every week. You're in a community group. You've already been baptized. You're a committed part of this church. What is it for you? For you, what I would ask is just that you up your game. You up your game here on Sundays, and you up your game in community group. So what that looks like could be any number of different things. Maybe it means you set the tone. You set a new level of vulnerability in your group by sharing something. It's so funny. You know, if you're in a group, you know that we do this sharing time, and you go around the group, and everybody shares about something that's going on in their life spiritually. And I've been in, I've been in groups like this for 20 years, uh, every week for 20 years. And it is amazing to me how reliable this is where... The first couple people who share, everybody after that goes to the exact same level that those first couple of people set. So if they, if they set the bar down here, that's where everybody else is going to go. It's just kind of a, a weird group dynamics thing. But the point is, for you, you can be the difference maker. You can go first. You can set a new level of vulnerability. A new level of vulnerability, I'd, I'd also ask you up your game in terms of care, in terms of reaching out to people in your group during the week in terms of praying for them, in terms of emailing and saying, hey, I want to check in about this. And then the last thing is just being open to, to new people, you know, looking for people that are not connected to a group already and seeing if you can bring them into your group. You, know, you say, well, our, our group is perfect the way it is. You know, we've got, I, it's just the right size. It's just the right makeup of people. I like it just the way it is. The funny thing is that's what everybody else in your group said before you got there. And this idea that oh now it's perfect, now that I'm here, now that I have arrived, now it's said we really shouldn't change it anymore. Well, who are you to say? You know, it's not your temple; it's God's temple. Who are you to say who the next brick in the wall is supposed to be? So, it ask that you be open, and you be looking for who that might be. Let's pray. other we like to do things on our own you know that you see that we like to do it by ourselves and to do it in privacy to do it with no one watching and yet you give us this way of knowing you that's so messy and involves all these other people and has to be done in public and takes a bunch of effort I pray that you would give us a renewed passion, a renewed energy for pursuing this. I pray that by your spirit working in each of us, you would draw us to each other, that the spirit in me and the spirit in every person in this room would would be reaching out and that you would cement us. You would cement us as living stones into this temple for your presence. Show us how to do it. Show us practical, real things we can do this week
0: to make steps. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.